We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my country. Hi everyone, this is We the Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina. This week on the podcast, Amrita Tadani. Amrita is the founder of NeoCoco, a mission-driven apparel company that hires women refugees and displaced women who embroider NeoCoco shirts by hand. How cool is that? I don't know. I just have a soft spot for handmade stuff. Maybe it's because I grew up watching my mom and my grandma paint those traditional Russian wooden folk art toys and I know how much work and how much heart goes into all that handmade stuff and it just melts my heart when I think about it. Um, there's something very comforting and warm in that image of women making things. Um, anyway, in this conversation we talk about uh, a bunch of things, but um, one of the big themes that came up is the theme of community. And it reminded me of how in the ancient times, exile used to be the hardest punishment because it was essentially a death sentence because you couldn't survive without your tribe. In those days, like you can't kill a mammoth by yourself. And of course, it's not as harsh in the modern world. Um, you can get a job. You don't have to kill a mammoth. But still, the loss of the community, loss of your tribe, is one of the biggest sacrifices that every immigrant um, makes. And it's not just the obvious part. Obviously, you miss your parents, you, you miss your family, you miss your friends. But it's also the wider community the network of connections that you totally take for granted and that feeling of oh I'm starting this new thing I'm gonna call this friend and that friend and they will probably know someone who's in doing this thing and they'll put me in touch with somebody that just doesn't happen in immigration at least not right away it takes years to build these relationships from scratch and I'm not just talking about how hard it is to get things done. Of course, if you hustle enough, you'll get it. But that feeling, it really cuts deep. Because when you come here and you don't know anyone, you don't know who to trust, and they don't know you, and they don't know if they can trust you. And it's like an animal thing, that lack of trust in the environment it kind of crystallizes into this feeling of unsafety and you live with that for a long time while you're slowly building your new community. But here's the beautiful thing about being an immigrant. Yes, when you leave you lose your tribe and it's a loss that you may grieve for years, but you become part of this new tribe, immigrant tribe. And there will be someone who will reach out to you because they can see where you're at and they've been there. And it's kind of a universally understood thing among the immigrants. 
like I was helping a fellow Russian immigrant with something and a friend asked me so is she a friend or are you just helping her because of the code and I'm guilty of taking things literally <laughs> a lot so I'm like what do you mean what code and he's like well the immigrant code and it never occurred to me but the immigrant code is a thing once you've gone through it you cannot be indifferent to a fellow immigrant I don't know is any of this familiar to you um, should be a note I don't know tell me tell me about your experience who helped you when you first got here anyway Amrita's story is a beautiful example of all of that and I'm rambling too much so here's my chat with Amrita Welcome, Amrita. Thank you for making time. Hi, thanks for having me. Yay. The first question that I ask everybody, how long have you been in the U.S. and where did you come here from? Uh, I've been here over 10 years now. Yeah, I think in December I'm going to be completing 11 years. And I moved here from India. And what was your life back home like? Very comfortable. <laughs> and, uh, what was your family like what was it where did you live which uh, part uh, of India so I lived in a small town called Pune and it's uh, it's very close to Mumbai Mumbai is the big city that everyone's very familiar with uh, but Pune is a small town used to be a small town not anymore but I was born and I grew up there uh, I did spend most of my childhood in a boarding school uh, which was almost 10 years of my life, like right from first grade to 10th grade. I was in wow. school. Is that typical? No, it's not typical. I mean, we. Uh, my mom passed away when I was very little. Uh, I must have been like six when she passed away. So uh, there was no other choice but to send me away. Uh, I did not like it at the beginning, but I grew to enjoy it and love it. And I remember in seventh grade, my dad tried to pull me out, you know, because he felt that he was capable of taking care of me and it would be a good time for us to spend some time together. And I think it was literally in two months I ran back to boarding school. I was like, I can't do this. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it was fun living with him, not in a bad way, but, you know, I was just used to being by myself. I missed my friends and I had a great support system till today. Like they're my best friends, my family, you know, and I connect with each one of them almost every day. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is impressive. Yeah. It's fun. Wow. So uh, what was your family like then? What, how would you describe it? It was middle class or like, yeah, what was it? A middle class, normal family, uh, joint family. You know, we all lived together. Uh, we were, we still are very close. And, you know, we all lived together at one point growing up. Uh, and then eventually as the kids started All growing, of you are, who, is who? Yeah, my dad and his brother. So my dad has two brothers and we all lived together. So they were... At any given point, we were six kids in the house growing up. Uh, I wasn't living with them. I was in boarding school, but I would uh, I would come home during the weekends. So they would pick me up on Sunday, Saturday morning and drop me off on Sunday evening. So I would get that one, two days to spend with them, uh, which was amazing because they would literally like pick me up. They would come with a car full of like kids and food and everything. And we would literally just get out of town. That's so amazing. That 
yeah, so that was the agenda. Like, let's pick up Amrita from school and let's just hit the road, you know, and we would like go on road trips. We would go on hikes. We would go camping. Um, yeah. And I was, I feel that, you know, I've been brought up with this sense of having uh, many mothers and many fathers because, because of the loss of one parent. I think everyone jumped in and played their part. You know, mm-hmm. until today, I feel very connected to everyone, both my mom's side and my dad's side. So I feel very fortunate in that way. That's amazing. Yeah. But it must have been a big thing to give up. For me to move here? Yeah. Um, not really. I think, you know, growing up, I had already, I was very independent. Like I always lived on my own. So it wasn't easy. I mean, it wasn't uh I would, I would, I would never be able to live with them in, you know, like I was always living on my own mm. and I'm not going to say that I wouldn't be able to live. Like, you know, we would meet at weddings and family functions and then and on weekends, but that was just how, you know, it happened every week. Mm-hmm. So, and that never changed. Like there was never a point where I was asked to come and stay at home with them, but mm. uh, the doors were always open. You know, I, there was never a no if I wanted to stay with them, you know, and there was never Mm -hmm. even a thought in my mind where I'd be like, Oh, would they want me to come and stay with them? Are they okay with me not staying with them? You know, things like that. It was just like, everyone's doors were always wide open and they were like, come when you want to, like, you know, if you want to stay on your own, like stay on your own. Uh, But the conversations were always there, you know, and checking in with each other and what do you need? Like, are you doing okay? You know? And in India, we have so many uh, family functions and weddings and, Uh, festivals that we celebrate as families together so it was a great time for us to like come together so we would literally meet like every two months you know give or take uh, and spend enough time with each other and go back to our own lives so I've always been independent and lived on my own and they've always been supportive of that Mm -hmm. so moving to the U.S. was not difficult it was a choice that I made and it was uh, I mean I do miss them you know but still again like on weekends I always speak with them Uh, we are on group chats so I know exactly what's happening with everyone Mm -hmm. yeah so so what led to your decision to come here I mean I uh, I moved here to study uh, but also at the same time, I did get married at that point. So I mo- mm-hmm. my husband was already living here. So during the time that I was applying for colleges, uh, you know, I landed up getting married around the same time and I moved here uh, with him. So how did you meet him? Uh, we've known each other for a while, but we kind of reconnected uh, after a long gap of, you know, through common friends again. And yeah. It happened really quickly, hmm. really quickly. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a different story. But so you already made the decision to come for school. Yes, I was already applying for schools. And was time. your intention to stay in the States when you came up with that idea? Oh, I'm going to go study. So I think mm-hmm. those are two separate processes, like getting married and then realizing. Right. No, I had already, I had kind of taken a break from what I was doing back in India, which was working as a a fashion stylist, as a costume designer on films. So I had taken a break for a few months. And during that break, you know, I decided I was going to apply to colleges. I just wanted to get creative again, get back into being a student and not working for a while. Uh, So I was applying for colleges, but I never thought that I would not come back. You know, I thought 
I was looking at it as an opportunity to do something different, to be inspired, to, you know, be in a completely new, unfamiliar setting and challenge myself to grow as a person. So I think I was looking at it more as an internal growth than, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to like move there and I'm going to make my life there. You know, Mm -hmm. I think I had a really well-established life back in India, uh, emotionally and even in terms of like work. You know, but I just took it as a, a step for me to challenge myself and then I would figure out what I wanted to do. Right. I had a very similar thinking. I, I had a career back in Russia working yeah. in film and I got an opportunity to study in the States and yeah. <laughs> and then I met my husband. <laughs> oh, you did. So you met him here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you're doing something like that, you know, and you've never studied outside of the you know, your comfort zone before, I think you just have to go in with an open mind and you don't know where those two years or four years is going to take you, you know. And I knew that the course that I was applying for was going to be very challenging. So where did you study? At Parsons in New York. That's a school for design. Yeah, it's a great school. So I knew it was going to be really intense, you know, and it's going to be worth it. So uh, I was looking, I was really looking forward to it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. So, and then you reconnected with your now husband and yeah. did you at that, was was his plan always to stay here or? Yeah. I mean, he had moved here, of, he's been here for 15 years now, but again, he moved here to study and I think his plan must have been different. You know, I think he did plan on working here and getting a job and uh, yeah, and settling here. But again, I don't think the two of us are fixated on this place and we're not like, oh, we're never going to like move anywhere else. You know, we we just literally plan like two years at a time. And we, we, are, we are both looking at like progressing and growing internally and with our work. And as a family, then, you know, like, oh, are we going to buy like a house here? And is this it? You know, does buying a house mean that we can never move anywhere else? Mm-hmm. You know, so we keep our options open. Um, yeah, but this is the longest that we've lived in any place like California. When we were living in New Jersey for like six years, mm-hmm. and that was the longest that we lived anywhere. But that was also because of school. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but after we moved here, you know, we 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 know that the two of us can never just settle in one place. But uh, California does feel a little more settling than New Jersey does. So, what was the was there a moment uh, where you? knew that you're well I guess the moment was accepting the proposal where where you realized that you would be staying here longer than two years yeah and how did it feel in in that moment did you think about the challenges that you will face here did you feel concerned about this no I wasn't concerned about it you know I was excited about uh, living here at the time that we uh, I was in school we lived in New Jersey so that I wasn't very excited about I didn't really like living in the east coast uh, even studying in Manhattan it was fun like I loved it but I wasn't in love with it like it never felt like home you know hmm. uh, I had a lot of friends uh, who had moved here moved to Manhattan from India hmm. and had st- studied there and lived there and till today they live there you know and they love it there Mm -hmm. Uh, but it wasn't for me. I knew that, you know, once we finished with 
Parsons. And I remember sometime around the end of uh, school, I was even thinking in my head, like, why did I do, why did I come and study at Parsons? Like, I, I could have studied anywhere else in California or, or any other state. Like, why did I choose Manhattan? You know, but I just... Why, pick, why did you? I just picked, like, the best school, you know, like, the most challenging school. Like, I knew Parsons would really challenge me. And it did, you know. I mean, I don't know how the other schools... Are, but I know that Parsons really challenged me and made me look at different tiers of, uh, you know, work that I could do. Like when it came to like production or being involved with the design team and different kind of companies at different levels, you know, a startup or an established company like DKNY or at that time, Alexander Wang, you know, so it gave me an, a really good understanding of working with different companies. And why did you choose to study in the States in the first place because versus I, India or Europe or anywhere else in the world? So I was looking at London at the same time. I was looking at Central St. Martin, but uh, I had already met my husband at that at the point that I was applying. So he was in the U.S. and at that point he was living in Columbus, Ohio. So, hmm. you know, I knew that I was going to apply somewhere in the U.S. and I chose to apply in New York. Um hmm. Yeah. And we were young, you know, we wanted to live in the city. We wanted to like see what the city life was. You know, we wanted to get a sense of, you know, how it was just like a single, you know, like a married couple, young married couple living in Manhattan. Like we wanted yeah. to like experience all of that. And I'm so glad we did, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite things to do in the city? I mean, just walk like this is, you know, it's one of those places where you can just like walk and you start off in one place and you end up, you don't know where you're going to end up. You know, you find a dive bar somewhere and yeah. the next minute you're in a dive bar, you know, the next minute you're like somewhere singing karaoke songs. So it's pretty ridiculous. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And you next thing you know, you're eating like kati, you know, like authentic Indian kati rolls at three in the morning somewhere. So <laughs> You can get anything there. You can get anything in New York. Yeah. That's for sure. I loved it. So so New York didn't feel like home. So how did you end up in California then? So we didn't like the winters at all. You know, that was <laughs> that was like yeah, I hate going to something school, I cannot relate to. Cannot relate to. And maybe, yes. you know, it's the way we <laughs> as a Russian, I miss my yeah, winters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for me, right, like growing up in India, like we never had winters. Uh yeah south of india you know yeah and uh, my dad has this beautiful property in goa which is this coastal uh, you know tourist russians know what goa is yes exactly and i <laughs> meet like so many russians you know in, yeah. in goa so it's like i grew up there and that was like my vibe you know i was always in like shorts and t-shirts mm. uh, so this whole thing of like having like 10 layers of jackets and you know spring cleaning and just things like that that I had to get familiar with you know like put all the summer clothes in and get all the winter clothes out you know and you walk into your house your apartment which is like not very big anyways and they, you're literally like scrambling over you know two pairs of boots and five jackets and then then we had an ayah at that point we had my daughter at that point and you know it was just not the space for us uh, yeah and but good all, schools, good schools, definitely. But you know what? I feel like with edu education, like if we were spending six months at home, 
and sending her to a good school, it didn't make sense for us. Like for us over here, you know, we are out of the house every day. You know, there's so much more that she can learn with uh, us just driving one hour away and going into the outdoors. Uh, I think that's more valuable for us than a good school system. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't think the school systems over here are bad, really. You know, they're, they're good. That's what I'm hearing. I, I can't really say I don't have kids yet, but that, that's what yeah. I'm hearing. And that's what I'm thinking about yeah. as a hopefully sometime in the near future parent. Yeah. Uh, Los Angeles schools don't have the best reputation from what I'm hearing. I don't necessarily think that is true. I mean, they're different. Uh, you know, like definitely the area that we are living in has a good school system. Right. Um, I don't know what the school, I don't know what we are missing out by not being in the East Coast in terms of a school system, but, you know, it is what it is. She's happy. She loves it here. She challenges herself in, you know, she's found things that she's starting to enjoy. You know, she's mm-hmm. nine years old now and she's, mm-hmm. she's picking on things that, you know, like she loves mythology or she loves like history so she's excited about those things so Mm -hmm. she's found something that she's excited about and you know that's where we want to challenge her you know Mm -hmm. and if she's found it and if she's excited about it then we're just going to you know introduce as much as we can to her in in that subject um yeah but as kids you know their interests keep changing so it is what it is of course yeah yes but so when you were, when you decided to start growing the family and started in, you know, you, you had the baby and what was, what was your thinking about bringing her up here? In the U.S.? Yeah. Um, so the fact that I was brought up in a boarding school plays like a really huge role in the way I bring her up. You know, because mm. I, there were there were no boundaries in terms of religion or caste system or race when I was in boarding school. Mm. So everyone was treated equally, you know, and everyone came from different backgrounds. You know, like we had Hindus, we had Muslims, we had, uh, you know, kids who came from really uh, well-to-do families, kids who didn't come from very well-to-do families. But none of that played any weight when we were all living together you know it's amazing and I love that and so I just never had a sense of you know it was always just accepting so you Mm -hmm. get what you get and you accept it you know and you you learn to not accept it but you can change the environment around you you know and the work comes from within so it was like a lot of like you had to put in the work you know to be a better friend to be a negotiator to be you know like to look at something and take a step back and you know think about it you know so so that's how i kind of live my life and continue to live my life but when when i did get out of boarding school suddenly there was this thing of like you know oh you cannot hang around with her like she's muslim and i'm like what are you talking about like she's like my best friend you know i've been hanging around with her for like 10 years of my life so things like that started to come up and i just never agreed with it because you know i had already formed my core group of friends you know and i was taking them with me everywhere i went uh, so i even when i'm bringing up anaya like it's always about like you know being accepting of everyone you know like when you so we do try and 
I mean, me and my husband are not very religious in in that way. So you know, we is it typical for Indian family to do what to be not religious? Mm, not really. No, I mean, there. I feel like every family has faith, or you know, in something, right? Yes. Yeah. So I I am a little more different than other kids in general, I would say. I don't know. Maybe it's because of the fact that I was in a boarding school, you know, and it was a very, it was, it was a strict convent school. So convent school. Yeah. So, like a, a Christian school. So kids oh. who practice Christianity went to church on Sundays, but majority of the kids were Hindus. So we didn't go to church, you know, mm-hmm. so only the kids who were Christian went to church. So you grew up kind of Hindu yeah. culturally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but like, what no, does that mean? What does Hinduism mean? Yeah. What is Hinduism in in just like most basic terms for somebody who doesn't know what Hinduism is? What are the so, main ideas that you grew up with? Uh, so in Hinduism, the way I look at it is, oh, that's a very tough question. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to answer that. Well, what did it give you? What what did it shape in you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like acceptance of, you know, uh, people, of communities, of, uh, you know, being open-minded, you know, being uh, being able to, uh, to have equal, you know, rights, you know, as your brothers and your sisters, you know, it's, it wasn't uh, from, it wasn't like, oh, because you're a girl, hmm. you know, in a Hindu family that you cannot like study, you hmm. know, like. Parents, I think, pushed their kids to and treated them equally to do much more. So know. is is in Indian society, are there other groups that limit girls? There, I mean, I think culturally, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, and it's always an expectation of uh, the boys. And I'm not saying in Hindus, it's not like, you know, there's always an expectation of the boys to take on the main role. You know, I think it's culturally everywhere in the world. Yeah. And it's culturally. Do you have brothers? Yes, I have an older brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was always, you know, like, oh, he he should study, you know, so there was a lot of importance of like what he's going to study. Like with me, it was just like, you know, do as much as you can and, you know, how much ever you want to, you know, but it wasn't like, oh, don't do it. You know, and it was always like this guiding thing of like, do you want to take like arts, you know, because eventually you're just going to be at home. You know, Was that the assumption? Yeah. Like they would be like, so what do you want? To, what are you going to do? You know, it's like uh, you're not going to do, you know, you're not going to be an engineer or a doctor. You know, it was it was like that. The, the hmm. expectations were very low. Hmm. Yeah. Got it. But I love the whole thing about the acceptance. I think we should uh, spread more of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's, and that's for me is important, important on what, you know, I want to teach Anaya where my daughter, it's like, just keep an open mind, you know, be accept, you know, be accepting of people, of their beliefs, of because there's so much that everyone contributes to the table. You know, it, you just have to, and that's what diversity is. It's like if you, like you said before, you know, if you don't have that diversity in a country, you know, you're not going to have people bringing in 
bringing in and contributing to the table. Yeah. You're not going to have new ideas. You're not going to have a better economy. You're not going to have, you know, uh, better businesses, you know, prospering uh, schools and colleges. You know, I can't imagine like going to a school and just being taught by a one kind of professor. So Parsons was very diverse. It was very diverse. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I loved that about Parsons. And that's something that really opened my eyes. And I was like, wow, it's so different. You know, we were taught so differently in India. It was so different. What's the main difference in how things are taught? Like over here, it's, 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 it's really inspiring, you know, to be part of a school system because you know, colleges and schools here are very diverse because a lot of kids come from out of uh, the U.S. to study. You know, so and especially when you're going to a design school, mm-hmm. you you kind of get, a, you know, a, a take into a Japanese culture or a Korean culture or, you know, and a South Asian culture, you know, someone from uh, Russia will be there, you know, and they'll bring mm-hmm. in their culture. So it's like so diverse. And then you'll get someone like, you know, who's really Californian, you know, who'll come in and bring in their vibe. So when you see mm-hmm. like everyone's collections of clothes or like designs or mood boards you know they're kind of inspired from where they're from Mm -hmm. and everyone's telling a different story so how was it what was it like let's let's back it up a little bit so you I'm sorry I'm jumping a little bit so you you graduated from Parsons and now your idea is what is what is the plan are you do you want to break into the fashion world of of New York or what what's the plan then? No, I think at that point I was ready to get out of New York and we were already talking about moving to California uh, and mainly because my brother was already living here. Mm. So we wanted to be closer to family. Uh, my husband's brothers live in the Bay Area. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, so we wanted to be closer to family and we wanted to and we picked California because the weather is great, you know, and Yes. Yeah, so those were our two main reasons. Uh, He was already working from home, so he could work from anywhere. Uh, I, in the meantime, had to find something to do. You know, but I already started applying to uh, some uh, celebrity stylists that were working in in Los Angeles. And I landed up getting a job with one of them, and I started working with her. Uh, So so what was it like? It was a whole new world. I mean, like, I was working with, like, Kylie Jenner and Tracy Ellis Ross, you know, like celebrities that I had never, uh, like I hadn't, I had just seen them in magazines, but I had never like met them. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of schlepping, Um, but I didn't enjoy it as much, you know, because I wasn't working. It it wasn't my passion. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't really. What exactly were you doing? That wasn't your passion? You know, like making a lot of pulls from showrooms, like getting their outfits together, like creating Mm -hmm. a style for them. So it was a lot of, you know, uh, picking up shoes from showrooms, like getting jewelry from showrooms, like keeping track of really expensive uh, merchandise, picking it up, returning it back, like shipping it, like coordinating with showrooms. It was, uh, Mm. yeah, and like making sure, you know, everything looked prim and proper for fittings, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you had like for, for one outfit, you had like 20 options, you know, just wow. stuff that, 
yeah, I mean, which is amazing for someone who enjoys doing it. But right. I want, yeah, I really wanted to do something with fashion that was more, you know, grassroots level, you know, work with communities and start building something that meant uh, something to the people who were working on those products. Where did that come from? Where did that idea come from? Because that's not necessarily how, being from outside the fashion world, that's not necessarily the general thinking or feeling I get from the fashion-minded, you know, people. Like, it's about creating beauty, which is by itself uh, a value. It's about creating great, uh, maybe comfortable clothes or, you know, uh, uh, unique uh, looking clothes or creating new styles, it seems like your focus is in the community. So where did that come from? So at that point, there was uh, a lot in the news about, uh, you know, refugee resettlement and what the disasters that were happening in Syria and in Iran. And there was just a lot of talk about it. It was constantly in the news. People and were that's moving. Uh, 2015, 16? Yeah, that? yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were moving to the United States during the time, you know, and uh, I was kind of working with a small group part time. Um, It was more on a voluntary basis where, you know, we were helping them with the resettlement program and they were. A lot is it of, an organization that you were working with? Yeah. So it was, was it, it was it's not an organization. It was just oh. a group that we had formed through families that had come through various organizations through the IRC, the International Rescue Committee, or uh, you know, uh, Catholic charities, local churches. You know, we would find these women. That, How did you find that group? How did you get involved with all that? Um, because I started like looking for them. You know, I started like, I reached out to a couple of churches, I reached out to the IRC, and they told me of like families that had just come into the United States, and that needed help, you know, so they need they were constantly asking for like donations, and they needed jobs. So these women, what made you seek that out? Oh, uh, I just wanted to help, you know, and I think it was this thing of these women being, and I had met this one woman in particular who had come here as a refugee and I had met her through a local church uh, and I had contacted this, uh, the father of the church, you know, just randomly. And I'd be like, Hey, you know, I want to, I know that, you know, you've been taking in a lot of women from families from Syria. Like, can I come and talk to you and see how I can help? And then he introduced me to this one woman named Anna And she, when I met her and spoke to her, she had so much anxiety because she didn't know what the future holds for her. And her family was her father and part of a huge part of her family was still in Syria, you know, and uh, at that point, the town that she was living in was constantly getting bombed. So she didn't know what was going to happen. And just living in with that anticipation was, you know, had given her so much anxiety. And here she was like miles away and she had no control over anything, you know, but at the same time, she just couldn't move. She couldn't go back and help. She just had to stay uh, here and be safe. She didn't speak the language. So she, you know, hung around with a small community of people that would come to the church every uh, Sunday And I started meeting with her individually and she started showing me pictures of what she used to do back in Syria. How did did you 
communicate with her? What so did you- Google Translate. Like I use Google Translate for all my communications with her. Like literally I would say to my phone, it would like, you know, translate it back to her and she would like say it back into the phone and we would have wow. communications like that. Because I just had to know her story. Like I was like, this is like insane. How can someone be here, you know, and have a family back where in in Syria and not know what's going to happen to her family? You know, she's just like living in fear. But at the same time, she's safe and she knows she's safe. So it's like I couldn't I was like constantly thinking, does she think she's lucky she's safe? Or like, you know, is it is it a blessing or is it a curse? You know, to be safe yourself, but know that the rest of your family is in danger. Yes. So I just had to know her story. And I met her like a couple of times. And I was like, literally, like thinking of like ways of how can I help? How can I help? You know, and I would come home and have these conversations with my husband. And it would leave me really heavy. Like, you know, by the end, like every time I met her, I would come home and I would really feel like heavy. And there were times that I would meet her at, say, 12 in the afternoon. And I would finish with her and I would go pick up my daughter from school at 2.30 in the afternoon. And I just could not be a normal mom, you know. So I started changing the timings that I would meet this woman. Like I would meet her like at nine in the morning after I dropped my daughter to school. Like go meet her so that it gave me like those two or three hours after I finished with her and picking up my daughter to school to kind of like get myself back together. So you you were taking on a lot of her pain. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was just trying to like understand like how can a system be so broken where you are accepting these people into your country, you know, and tell me a little bit about that system. I don't know anything about that system. What I mean, did you a lot see? Of what did them, you learn? They so here they are. I mean, you know, like the organizations help them with the paperwork and then they get uh then uh, they they land up becoming citizens eventually, but, you know, they get a work visa and it depends on every family, actually. It's different for every family. Um, But a lot of them are also living on food stamps, you know, and they don't speak. There are no opportunities for them to, like, what happens to them? You know, So basically once they, once they receive the, the legal, right to be here yeah there's not much support for them to be assimilated or incorporated into the community or anything because uh, the reason i'm asking is because for example i know that um in the 80s and 90s when there was a lot of soviet jews coming out here to the states the synagogues and jewish families here were helping um families to resettle and and helping them a lot so there's nothing not much going on in that way here yeah now. And the jobs that they're getting you know and because they don't speak the language the jobs that they're getting are jobs that like you know at 7-eleven or they're getting a job uh, in construction you know but that is not what they have studied back home you know like i right. know families that have moved here with their sons who have studied to be a draftsman with an architect you know but like now he's working at sears you know, and I understand that the qualifications do not match up and, you know, do not, no. are not of American standards. But, yes. yeah, but it, it's just cr- crazy that they have to work that way. You know, it's like for me, I'm just thinking that's someone's entire life. I mean, his entire dream is just like yeah. scattered by this one incident that happened during his lifetime. You know, and he he's literally just considering himself lucky 
for being alive. You know, so there's nothing beyond like what can we do as individuals who are maybe in the same position, you know, like we moved here as immigrants, we are limited in so many ways, you know, till we get our green card or citizenship, you know, God knows when that is. Uh, And so if we are limited in our, in our own ways, but I'm thinking like, you know, what for someone who comes here under the circumstances of war and persecution, you know, what is their, how does it work for them? You know, what happens to women and children from families like that? And a lot of the women that I started, so this woman in particular I was telling you about, Anna, she started talking to me and she started showing me pictures of when she used to come here to the United States as a tourist because she had this flourishing uh, business back in Syria where she had her own little restaurant, you know, and she used to have people come to her restaurant every evening and they would like sing and dance. And it was like, she's like, it was a party every evening, you know, and she used to bake cakes and she had like it, it, what she showed me just looked beautiful. And I was like, now here she is living in downtown in a low income housing, a dingy building, you know, where she doesn't even like belong. Like she doesn't fit there. Like she does not feel happy where she's living. You know, she's depressed. She's got anxiety. And I was like, what can I do to like help you? So we started a group full of, with similar women like that, you know, and we started finding what is it that they know that what is it that we can do? together Mm -hmm. and that's how hand embroidery came about because every time I went to like visit Anna I would see like these beautiful hand crocheted you know mats Mm -hmm. that she would Mm -hmm. place a glass of water for me on and I would be like oh that's so cute it reminds me of home Mm -hmm. you know and then there was another woman from Iran whose house I went to you know and she had like this crocheted uh, fabric that she had just put on top of her little television and I was Mm -hmm. like that's so funny you know it like reminds me of my grandfather's place that's how mm-hmm. he used to cover his television. Mm-hmm. So I, had, I started finding like these connecting all these dots. And I was like, there's this one thing that we have in common is hand embroidery. Like culturally, all of us just know how to hand embroider stuff, you know, do stuff with mm-hmm. the hands. So that's how I came up with the idea of hand embroidering T-shirts. And we tried on a few samples and I came up with the artwork because I wanted the artwork to be bold i wanted it to say something i wanted it to talk yeah about tell it. me about it because it's uh it's very bold is an understatement it's yeah. very provocative yeah i mean if and can you describe uh, your t-shirt yeah so, so the t-shirts are hand embroidered and the artwork is of female bodies of uh, the female form and, naked female bodies yeah and the reason why we do that, like I chose that as the artwork is because if it was a flower or a shell from a beach or a, a fern, you know, you you would look at it once and you'd be like, oh, okay. But if yeah. you see a female form, you know, you look at it and you're going to give it a second look and you're going to be like, what is that? Like, 100%. You know, is that hand embroidered? You know, who made that? And where did you get this from? And it starts a conversation which we want. So we want our T-shirts to be conversation starters and we want people to talk about who made this T-shirt. Why did you choose a woman's art, uh, female form as the artwork? You know, we want people to talk about the issues of resettlement, you know, women coming here and the suppression and the, the fact that just because they 
are now in the United States doesn't mean that it's easy for them. You know, yeah. it's it's a challenge. They still have to, they're, they're still looking for work. You know, a lot yeah. of them are going through anxiety. A lot of them are depressed. A lot of them don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, they just feel like, is this another place where I'm stuck? Yeah. You know, and they're still not free. And I've, I do not have uh, women in my team telling me that they do not want to hand embroider the artwork because I feel somewhere it gives them that sense of freedom, you know, where they feel that the artwork is representative of the conversations that they want people to have around women's issues. How many people do you have? Eight. Eight. Yeah. And each uh, one works, you know, at a different level. Like some of them work full time, some of them work part time. So it really depends with what is going on in their family. And uh, how long have you been working with them now? It's been a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you gather the group? And this is this was the group from the very beginning, the eight people, or were the people coming in, or how did it, how did it work? Yeah, I mean, we started with two women, and at this point, you know, we have eight that work. Six of them work with me full time, and the two of them are part time. But it's up to the women. You know, they work for a few months. They uh, some of them have been with me since the beginning of uh, that we started so it really it really depends i mean it's it's up to them you know we want to give them the freedom to uh, join us when they feel like it and they're capable of being a part of the team but there are some women you know who need like a few months break because they've got little kids they're trying to figure mm -hmm. out school mm -hmm. their husbands have got a new job you know because of which uh, things are not flexible at home uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, but the the good thing about the work that they're doing with us is that they can work from home. Mm -hmm. So we've never had like a lot of women leaving. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always been like, oh, I can't take so many t-shirts at this point. I can just do some of them. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so the load that they take is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's flexible. Right. Well, I one of the things that I have discovered about immigrants and being an immigrant is that a lot of the times we we look at the situation here and obviously nobody's rolling out red carpet for us to embrace us and and even if you're not a refugee as these women are that that, that they don't have anything to grab onto here you're yeah. even if you come through a great school and uh you have a profession and you speak the language still it's very difficult to crawl into the system and i think that that's what makes a lot of immigrants um entrepreneurs mm. uh, because you have to create your own thing for yourself and others Yeah, and I feel like as an outsider, when you come into a space, you know, you're always trying to find something that, how can you contribute? You know, how can you make this space your own? So you're trying to mold a part. Belong. Yeah, you know, and you're trying to uh, not fit in, but you're trying to find your voice, you know, and you're trying to create a space and a, a group and a community that, you know, will agree with you and want to be part and who think like you, mm -hmm. you know, and for me, it was these women, you know, like I wanted to, you know, 
work with a group of women and create a platform for them to, you know, make make ends meet, you know, to make, uh, to be financially independent, uh, to have a voice, you know, to contribute to the families, to be part, to feel that they're part of a community, you know, not just be stuck at home and not know what to do with themselves, you know, to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm making some money. I, maybe I should go take an English class. You know, maybe I should go learn how to drive, you know, because if you don't have that then what do you have like if you come here as an outsider you know so did you personally feel like an outsider no i don't feel like i belong anywhere you know i feel <laughs> i'm like a butterfly <laughs> i can just i um i don't think that much about whether i fit in or you know i i don't like i i i do manage to find friends and you know I do uh, I you know I don't I don't have that I don't uh, feel like an outsider hmm. you know but it doesn't feel like home either you know hmm. like tomorrow if, if I felt like we need to move elsewhere and uh, you know move there then I would I would say okay let's do it I'd take it up as a challenge and be like I, I am ready to move. But right now, yeah, right now I want to stay where I am because I feel like I've started doing something that I'm really passionate about, you know, and I want to see this grow. So how do you see it? What is the, what is the vision? So we definitely want to hire more women. That's the whole, that's the mission behind what we are doing. But at the how same do you time, fund, how do you, how do you fund it? How do you grow it? So all the t-shirts that we make, you know, we sell our t-shirts and it's a hundred percent of the revenue is directed back into the company where we are able to, you know, train and hire more women refugees or displaced women. We've even started working with a lot of homeless shelters. Uh, so a lot of women in general that have been displaced or, you know, have uh, been asked to leave their country for whatever reasons have are now working with us. So it's about creating that platform for them you know, to make sure that they are working, they have a sense of purpose, uh, creating beautiful T-shirts, you know, with artwork that sparks conversations around women's issues and women's rights. And uh, we want people to look at a new Coco uh, a T-shirt and look at the artwork and say, oh, that's a new Coco T-shirt, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you definitely I- have that. Yeah, I hope so. I hope yes. so. I mean, yeah, I I know that nobody's doing the kind of stuff that we're doing, especially no. not in, when it comes to hand embroidery. So it's good to know that, you know, we found and uh, we found a good group of women to work with, you know, and they're excited about working with us every day. You know, I'm excited to get to work every day. And we want to make like uh, broaden the products, you know, from t-shirts we moved to sweatshirts and we have like new stuff coming up uh pretty next month so we want to keep it growing but mm-hmm. we definitely want it to be fashion focused you know because we want it we want the clothes to look high-end we want the clothes to look uh, expensive and well-made and we make everything in los angeles like everything is sourced here manufactured here so we are reducing carbon front footprint mm-hmm. you know uh, all the fabric is made locally in 
the United States. Uh, we and our packaging is from here. Everything is made here in LA. That's LA forward. That's LA forward. I like that. So hold on. Well, so you mentioned that's one of those things that I noticed when I looked at your stuff. It is. It does. It definitely looks. It's handmade. Obviously, that's yeah. that by default puts it in a higher uh, price bracket. But it's definitely not the most affordable uh, apparel. Was yeah. that a was that a conscious decision? It was. I mean, hand embroidery itself is time consuming. You know, so it takes uh, it it takes time for them to hand embroider one T-shirt, and we make sure that they're paid fairly. Mm-hmm. You know, so we want to. That is a criteria for us. So when it comes to, and if you look, if you want something that is locally made, you know, made here in the United States, uh, yeah. we are working with women, trying to empower them, you yeah. know, and give them a platform uh, where they and a safe environment for them to work in. That's the price you're going to pay. You know, it's and- not. It's not a. It's not a printed T-shirt. Yeah. And that actually, I was, I went through that thought process that that you just explained. And I thought about how, you know, it actually reminds of the real cost of, of labor because, um, we are so spoiled and used to these $5 t-shirts that come from Bangladesh where, uh, people work in completely inhumane, um, environment unsafe and getting paid pennies if that for their work and here's this is the real price like maybe don't have 15 t-shirts have two yeah but they will be good quality and they will be um, supporting someone in a real way yeah and that is actually the one thing that i hated about the fashion business you know i feel like uh, there's a lot of stress right now on businesses being more conscious and being more uh, ethical in their way of production. But when I was at Parsons, we never studied that. We never studied sustainability, you know, and it was never a topic of conversation. And then when you land up doing internships, you see, you know, the work, uh, the uh, the production that is done in China and in Bangladesh and nobody knows, you know, you literally just see patterns to like finished product. You know, there is nothing in between that you don't see any of that. It's, it doesn't happen there, you know, besides after sampling, nothing happens Mm -hmm. in the United States. So that was Mm -hmm. like that one connection that I really missed, you know, and you suddenly see like these beautiful garments being made and you're like, where is this being made? Like, how much are you paying for it? And like, why are you charging me a thousand dollars for a name? You know, like Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be that expensive, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, like, you know, it it didn't stand for anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, that was always my problem with with the fashion world that wastefulness and paying for name paying for the yeah, tag you're paying for a name and you're paying for like a corporate setup you know you're paying you're you're literally like paying people in your office that has you know like for what like i i don't see anyone working on the garments it's not a very typical again it's very unusual point of view for a fashion business person for me it was you know like if you're starting your own business then just do it right you know it's what goes into doing it uh, you know what are the profit margins 
and where is the money going? And I think it's transparency, right? People want to know, like, who is making my T-shirt? You know, who's... Uh, I don't. I don't think they do. I think most people don't want to know that their T-shirt is being made by a mother of five in Bangladesh who's starving. I feel like culturally, like right now, there's been this thing of like everyone wants a good deal, right? But there's a mm-hmm. huge shift in fashion, and I see that you know people are being very conscious. Uh, it's going to take time, you know. It's because it's been ingrained in American culture that you have to get like the cheaper, the better, you know, more and more, the cheaper, the better and more. You're right. Like, you know, it, it starts from like from fast food. Like it's been, it's just been this thing like with fashion, you know, it's like buy a $5 t-shirt and you know, you'll get a pack of three. You know, but nobody really cares where it's made. But I think there is. And also you have to buy a new one every every season because, yeah. oh, we're going to. That was another thing. One of my personal issues with fashion is that it's tricking you into buying more all the time and accumulating that. I, I come from Russia and I was born in Soviet Union where, yeah. you know, obviously it was not a great place to live in terms of basic things but it kind of we kind of had different approach to things yeah you buy a coat and you wear it for a few years years. yeah it was a luxury but you wear it for a few years because it's good for a few years yeah it's good for you don't have to buy a new coat every year because the previous one is out of fashion yeah and god forbid you have a younger sister she's getting the Coat. Yes, you know it's a hand me down, and I would. I remember my my aunt. My aunt would always tell me, "Be careful wearing this. It's going yeah. to see your cousin." Yeah, yeah. and you know, like uh, another thing about being brought up in boarding school, like we had six sets of clothes. I used to go to school with like seven sets of clothes, and that was it. It was washed every weekend, and I would wear it again this, this, uh, for the next. And I would only be able to buy clothes like maybe once or twice a year when I went home, you know, and uh, during big festivals like Diwali, you know, that was Mm -hmm. our New Year's and my family would buy me a new set of clothes and Mm -hmm. not again, all seven. It's like, okay, your socks have holes in them. You need a new set, set of socks, you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't like, oh, I need like pink socks and white socks and uh, hiking socks and, you know, everyday socks and running socks. It's like none of that. Like socks were socks, you know, (laughs) live with it <laughs> so yeah like we've been brought up and that's the thing about sustainability right like i feel like developing countries have always been doing it like here in the u.s like you know it's just been marketed and it's been presented to people rebranded the term sustainability has been marketed and rebranded to people giving them a completely different outlook of how do you mean like Think about it, right? Like for for me coming from India, you know, when we like eating outside, eating in a restaurant was a luxury. Same. You know, and when you eat street food, you know, they there were sustainable ways in which food was given to you to eat in. You know, like the plates were made out of leaves, dried leaves. You know, it's it's like this. It, it, that was just really a normal way to eat. And then you throw that and it's decomposed it, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you're not wasting anything. It's not harmful mm-hmm. to the planet. Yeah. You know, when it comes to like fashion, we, people, our families just never brought us, bought, bought us like new clothes because it was discounted or you got more for a lesser price. 
it was more a, a matter of do you need it do you need a winter jacket mm-hmm. you know if you don't need one you don't get one you know so it was whether you want something or you really need it when but then over here like now sustainability has become a trend mm-hmm. because it's been rebranded and to people that oh you need to be living a certain way so that you are not harming the environment you know but it's like you're you're teaching people that your actions will save the planet Right. You know, but it should have been I think, I think I know sense. I think I know what you mean. So in in developing countries like India or Russia the con- the the concept of need is much more present because yeah. you exist you, you don't have that much of too much. You don't have access. So you remember options. You remember what actual need is and yeah. you realize that satisfying the need yeah. is enough. Right, yeah, and you don't you don't walk into a grocery store and see like aisles of uh, cereal. You know, you right. had one kind of cereal. It was called cornflakes, and that's what you have. Whereas know? here, people have good. all this access, and oh, they yeah, need to be reminded options. that there is a need. Right? Yeah. yeah, that you have all these options, and you're like, oh, my daughter eats this, my uncle eats this, my husband eats this, and my father eats this. So when you come home, you bring home like five bags of different kinds of cereal. You know, so that's a luxury. Yeah, you know, like that's it's different the way. So in that way, I meant that it's presented sustainability is presented to people differently. Yeah, you know, well, they, like they can't it and the term. Whereas I feel like developing countries have always been doing it. Right. You know that that makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, and yeah, because. <laughs> And and that's the thing. It's like when you are in a space as an outsider, you look at things differently, right? You hear all these terms, you know, that brands are using, like, oh, we are sustainable. Like, what does it really mean to be sus- sustainable? You know, you're, you're, you're ethical. Like, what does it mean to be uh, ethical? Mm-hmm. Like just because you're making your T-shirts in India and you're paying someone fair wage in India but you're selling it here in the US and you're selling it for the US dollars. You're paying someone in rupees and you're selling it in US dollars. How is that ethical? You know what I mean? Because there are no uh, minimum wage laws in India set up like the minimum wage laws set up here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's debatable for me. And it's something that, should be debated and thought about because we are slowly but surely moving into a more global world. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm also interested in talking to immigrants that come from all over the world here to the U.S. because I think in a way we're building this model future here for example, in Los Angeles, like California is a very, I'm not going to, of course, it's not 100% accepting, but it's more open society. It's more accepting society. Yes, it's a society that, that gives more opportunity yeah. for incomers, for outsiders. Yeah. And I think that it is the step towards uh, the future. 
And the process that we're going through as we're adjusting to this is the process that the whole world has to go through eventually. Yeah. You know, and there's, it's, it's this really small thing that my daughter actually said it when she was, I think, three years old or something. She was like pulled up on stage uh, in New York, one of these Broadway shows by the end of it. Like, you know, she was pulled up on stage to like just stand in line and they were asking five or six kids something. Uh-huh. And when it came to her turn, like they asked her, they're like, where are you from? You know, and she said, planet Earth. And it just like blew my mind because I was like, that's exactly what it is. You know, you're a global citizen. You know, you are here at this time of your life to make a difference and to understand who you are. You know, tomorrow you might not be here in the United States. You may be somewhere else, you know, but what you have learned is what you're going to take with you to make that a better place you know, and we are, I, I feel, and that just like blew my mind because I was like, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's like you don't, and everyone in the audience started laughing and I was like, this is crazy. Like for yeah. a role to just like, just say it. I was like, and I, I felt so proud. I was just like, you know, yeah, I'm so glad you didn't say, you know, it was, she was like, did I say something wrong, mommy? And I was like, no, I said, you said the right thing. That's exactly what it was. You know, that, that's what it is. It's like. You know, you don't, yeah, like not feel confined to who you are and to just be like open and just be like human, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that's so important. And you learn like, you know, the biggest lessons through kids, I feel. Well, and obviously she learned at a very young age. Somehow she picked that up. Yeah. So where did you think, where do you think this came from? Because we we just never like ever told you know like had those conversations with her like oh you're you're Indian or living in the U.S. you know or you're American because you're born born here like she she was still three but we've never had those conversations with her and we you know we never have the strong Indian cultural vibe going on in our house it's just like a very normal family you know we talk about things that we love to do you know like we love to go on road trips we love to like travel you know those are the things that we talk about like we love history so we talk about you know indian mythology indian history or like you know greek mythology like we just discuss you know things wars and things that have like shaped the world more than putting the focus of on you know we are indian and this is how we should be doing things or we are Indians living in the US. This is how we should be doing things. We've just never had those conversations. We just talk about what we like to do. And And they never come at her because a lot of times you wish they didn't see and it didn't matter, but it does. Yeah, it does. And I think it's not something that we should not see or neglect. You know, it's something that we should embrace and understand, right? Because every culture has their own history and every history has affected the United States in a certain way, you know, and here we are living here, you know, and some cultures go through uh, racism and some go through racism for different reasons. Right. You know, like I may not go through racism because of the color of my skin, but I do face racism in different ways. Right. So it's so like it would be wrong for me to say I don't seek color you know I see it I see yeah, it's it. there yeah it's there I see it but I'm excited because I see a new culture I see a new uh, way for me to be educated 
about right. something that I'm not familiar with, you know, so right. I'm, I'm excited to like it's, embrace that. And yeah. I'm same way. And I, and I, it's interesting how every question that I ask you, you kind of take it into your desire to accept and, and uh, learn about the outside world. My question actually was about your personal experience as an Indian in the U.S. And we were talking about your daughter growing up here as an Indian. Yeah. Is there something, what, is there something that is challenging in that experience? A lot of it stems from people being ignorant, but I get it because, you know, I feel that India is so diverse and it is literally like four countries in one country, you right. know, so I don't expect people to have that knowledge about what it is all about. So a lot of it is about people being ignorant and saying ignorant things, you know, and, like what? you know, like all Indians are, uh, don't eat meat because of religion, you know, all Indians, uh, you know, ha have an elephant in their backyard or, you know, just things like yeah, Russians have bears. That's the thing. Oh, see, I didn't know that. <laughs> you learn something new every day. I need to look it up. So, yep. Yeah. So, so things like that is just being ignorant about, uh, uh, you know, the culture. And I feel like India is so diverse that I don't really um, blame people for being ignorant because the country itself is so diverse and you know within every religion there are different sects of uh, religions mm -hmm. um, so I think it is so diverse and it is so complicating it's very complicating for someone to understand it as as a whole mm -hmm. um, but I feel like on a human level you know if I'm talking to you like if I don't understand something I would take that step back and I would and I'm gonna want to educate myself through you or through the internet and then have a con then see something yeah know. but that's not how people do it usually instead of taking a step back they take a step forward and say yeah. you know what you should yeah blah 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 yeah you should be yeah. blah 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 yeah like yeah i mean i've had people like you know every time i go to india and come back they'd be like hey so did you ride an elephant and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> just like random stuff <laughs> like, you know and uh, are you are you do, do you not eat meat because you're hindu or you know just being very assumptuous and uh, mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's a conversation i think there's still a lot for people to learn and you're right because it's you know the world is getting smaller people are living in more diverse communities now than before you know, I don't know if the my friends that I have uh, in the here living in Los Angeles, like when we have Diwali parties and we call everyone over, you know, it's crazy. I feel like we've got seven or ten different cultures and people mm -hmm. from different countries coming into our house, you know, and everyone's mm -hmm. trying to dress up in Indian clothes because they're trying, they want to celebrate our new year with us, which is amazing, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, where did you get that kurta from? You know, and they'd be like, oh, I made this trip to India back in the day and I got it, you know, someone mm -hmm. gifted it to me and it's crazy. It's like, you hear all these amazing stories and you're like, wow, you know, uh, we've got Japanese friends, like friends from Europe, they'll all come wearing Indian clothes and it's really Cute. Interesting. You mentioned yeah. that you have all kinds of different friends. And that's another thing that I hear from a lot of immigrants is that a lot of us make friends more with other immigrants or easier rather than with locals. Was that your experience also? I wouldn't say that was true of me. I no. think, yeah, I think uh, 
we we've got a lot of american friends as well and we have a lot of indian friends as well but mm-hmm. yeah like it is definitely a diverse group that's cool yeah so what do you think was the hardest thing in i mean i'm not going to even say then then becoming american because i guess like that's not really what happened for you have you do you feel that you become american i mean i'm sure when when my family you know my family meets me like yes in a lot of ways you know i feel you, when you grow up and especially when you've had kids in this country your sense of protection and the way you were brought up and the way you're protecting your kids now is very different from the way we were brought up so yes mm-hmm. you know when i do take my daughter to india i feel that my family is a little more carefree with her than i am you know mm-hmm. because i because i know that she is not brought up there so she does not know how to navigate her way around mm-hmm. things you know she's not as street smart mm-hmm. as we were when we were growing up Mm-hmm. you know and i and that's what that's my fear as a parent mm-hmm. but and that's that's something that they would pick up on and be like oh you're so americanized mm-hmm. you know that but it's great that she's getting introduced to that idea at all at the young age of being of being s- street smart too of seeing that that that's yeah. a different skill yeah that's a different skill but another thing you know is like she just thinks that oh she can just like take off you know when we are in india at my dad's so uh, my dad has his beautiful farmhouse and every time we go there she thinks like you know she can just like run off for a mile well, without having anyone with her but mm. i constantly have to remind her you know this is not us back home yeah. you know it's not you can't just like go anywhere without telling us you need to like inform us so right. so there are like all these things and that's what family picks up on but i don't think anyone has ever said or oh, like you're you've you're americanized you know uh, yeah but it it is definitely i see that it's different the way we are bringing her up than the way we were brought up maybe also you know the fact that we were brought up in a joint family so we always had cousins with us you know and at any given point we were like six or seven kids together mm-hmm. so there was always an older kid looking at, at uh, looking uh, over the younger ones and mm-hmm. the younger ones stuck together you know with mm-hmm. the older ones so we kind of like were in a group so it was safer like now even though i have a lot of family and a lot of cousins back home with kids the same age as my daughters it's like when we go to india they're all really busy with their work you know so we don't get a lot of time to like be with each other mm-hmm. um, but when we do you know there's it's it's different for her as well you know she doesn't know them that well she has to uh, they have a hard time understanding mm-hmm. what she's saying you know she's she's a, she's she's different in that way but mm-hmm. but they're kids you know they figure it out like in a day in a few hours they're playing with each other and i don't think language has ever been a barrier in that way right yeah so it's interesting that when i asked you about becoming american you started talking about your daughter so kind of that sense of groundedness here came from that moment from yeah did you do you remember that moment that transition in your mind or in how you felt yeah i think it started when we started having like play dates you know <laughs> just mm. never familiar with the idea of like play dates and 
yeah, she was she was growing up. She was like seven to eight months old, and you know, we felt the need for her to have socially interact with people. But I didn't know how to like do that. And every time I would read uh, read online, there were like these mommy and me groups, and you know, so I started going for some of those, and it was. It was work. It was something that I had to like, it was a lot of work for me as well, you know, because I had to start making, I had to start making different friends. Uh, But luckily we lived really close to a park. So I remember at some point I was like, I cannot do this play date thing. You know, it's a lot of coordinating. Everyone's giving dates like two weeks in advance, which is like insane. I'm like, I'm just going to take her down to the park. (laughs) You know, she's going to make her own friends. (laughs) So every evening I would take her down to the park and she would just make her own friends, you know, and that was it. Then I stopped doing these play dates. I was like, forget it. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's how I grew up. Yeah. Just playing with kids in the yeah. in the playground. Yeah. And they're neighbors and they live in this area and it yeah. makes sense. And then we become close and then parents become closer because yeah. of us, because they have to. Exactly. Yeah. And New Jersey was like that, you know, New Jersey, the building that we lived in, a lot of our friends were Serbians. Uh, we had a youth Serbian and a Russian community. So uh, mm. the everyone's doors were always open. Like we would, you know, borrow eggs or onions if we didn't have mm-hmm. from each other. Like it was, everyone's doors were wide open. Kids were running in and out of each other's homes. And when Anaya came of age, you know, at five o'clock in the evening, every day, the kids would meet down. They would, in the park, they would ride their scooters. So it was this thing, like well, without you know, coordinating at five o'clock, mm-hmm. the kids just met down in the park. And if mm-hmm. it was summer, you know, the parents just bought food and everyone and they would bring enough food for everyone and the kids would just have a good time so we did miss leaving new, uh, new jersey because we had you know this special sense of uh, community. community especially for her you know like mm-hmm. if we were there now i know i mean we are still in touch with them uh, so i know that if we were mm-hmm. there now you know those would be her close friends mm-hmm. so what what were the hardest things for you in being in living here in america i think the work has been definitely a challenge for me you know in what way because when i started working back in india i was really young you know straight out of college and i think at that time you don't really have that uh that that sense of fear of approaching people it was more like a freelance job you know you know someone through someone It, it was those connections you know where you knew people like over here you don't know anyone so you're literally like making friends you know and and you're right like in a lot of ways it's not easy to make close friends especially when you like start working like within three years you know it wasn't like oh wow like you know this friend of mine will recommend me to someone you know it's like she needs to be like a solid friend for you to have a recommendation so like none of that ever happened but it was always uh so it was always like navigating through things on my own like emailing people you know, uh, trying to find jobs through friends or contacting people on your own. So it was a lot of things that I had to do on my own to uh, get to to get land up with any kind of yeah, job. So you have to build your new network. Yeah, a whole new network that I had to like build on my own. You know, and that yeah. was difficult for me because I I kind of like took that for granted. You know, I felt that I just had that secure system and suddenly I was here and I was like, geez, I really don't have anyone. And I never thought about that before coming here. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure people here take it for granted too, because they already have it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, but yeah, but that was definitely the toughest thing for me. 
and mm-hmm. and also when i had my daughter you know that was tough as well because i was uh, none of my friends had kids at that point mm. you know i was probably one of the older uh, kids at parsons so by the time i graduated i had an aya so i was like on, on a completely different mindset you know i was parenting i was uh, looking for play dates i was doing mommy and me time so it was very different mm-hmm. navigating with kids who had just passed out of parsons and who were ready to like work with you know a fashion brand and make it yeah, yeah. so your focus was in a different place yeah very different place right but that was not necessarily because you were an immigrant it was just because you decided to start yeah, family my choice yeah yeah so what is it about american culture that you see as a as the best what do you want your anaya to take in i feel like i really wanted to make use of the opportunities that they have here you know what do you mean they there are so many options and so many opportunities for kids like if she wants she's interested in something there's no limitation to you know uh, higher education in that field of choice you know she can pick whatever she wants to do and she can just run with it you know and i don't think that was the case for us kids back in india this is a place you know you have the opportunities here just go for it you know understand that there are kids in developing countries that don't have this opportunity you know they don't have parents they don't have the luxury of their parents taking them for classes every evening you, you know? do tell her that yeah yeah and is she aware of that from from going to india is she like does she take that in not yet i mean the last time we were there she was she was 6 or 7 mm-hmm. so i don't think she understands that yet you know but i'm sure she'll she see she'll see it because when we go home all my cousins are working and they work till like 9 at night you know the kids don't have time i mean they, the parents don't have time to take their kids for classes now yeah. uh, you know so, so they're very selective classes that they go for like pick one thing and that's what you're going to do yeah you know or here it's like i'm taking her for like seven five classes a week you know giving her the options of like oh you can decide what you enjoy you know and what you really enjoy doing in the meantime you can just go for all these classes and figure it out when the time comes so it's different for her and what about yourself what is it that you feel that you've um absorbed from the from america um uh, our lifestyle has changed changed mm-hmm. you know we've we've traveled we've traveled much more you know because living here allows you to do that mm-hmm. so we definitely travel a lot we love taking road trips uh, we are going to colorado by the end of this month for two weeks you to know where sorry colorado oh nice yeah so just stuff like that like we've just been traveling a lot but yeah like our lifestyle has changed a lot as well how do you feel that impacted you as a person um has it or has it not maybe it didn't yeah, i just me i i definitely know that living in the states changed me in in um in a significant way not at the core yeah but in it it changed my perspectives in a huge way it's it's different you know it's the the work culture is very different so i've definitely adjusted to that everything has changed i don't i don't think we would have been the same people we are if we were back in india you know like i feel like in india also because you live oh here it's like just me my husband and my daughter you know we mm-hmm. make the decisions we make the decisions we it's us 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's no telling anyone like, hey, can you watch my child for like two hours while I'm working? Yeah, none of that. It's like we figure it out. So a lot, it's very different for us. Like over here, we are more, you know, focused on what we want to do. It's, you know, we plan much more. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. maybe we would have planned anything. A lot of it would have been like, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, like besides work, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's different. And in terms of how you see the world or society or your place in the society, do, do you feel that that has changed? Yeah, yeah, because we're, you're, you're living here, you're living in such a diverse place. It's it's different, you know, I love it. It's it's This feels very me, you know. Was there a moment, was there a, a story that happened to you that made you feel that way? Oh, um, no. I But I, I definitely know that it feels very comfortable for me to be here in Los Angeles with people, you know, because mm-hmm. I feel people are very accepting of who I am, you know, mm-hmm. the ideas that I bring to the table, you know, they, uh, they are willing to listen. You, you know, have all good ideas. I like your ideas. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and they're, and it's, it's a more accepting society. So, mm-hmm. and that's what I love. You know, I love being compared here. to India. Compared to India. Yeah. Mm. India, I feel, is getting diverse. Like now, you know, there are a lot of people, and that only in like bigger cities. Mm. Uh, so, yes, but over here, it, it I love that. You know, it's like uh, I I love having friends from different countries and celebrating different cultures, and I love having our kids hang out with each other, you know, and celebrate with each other. The fact that this place is way more diverse makes me feel at home. You know, I, I needed that. That's it for today. Tune in to part two of the interview with Amrita on Thursday to hear more about social impact and business of fashion. Please subscribe wherever you're listening. Leave us a review. Follow us on social media. Uh, let me know what you think. Um, tell me about your experience with the immigrant code. Also, by the way, you can buy a Neo Coco mask. It's not hand embroidered, but it is handmade. Uh, go to neococo.com and uh, the money you spend goes to support women, refugees, and displaced women of Neo Coco. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Love you. Peace. This is my country, my damn country, and it don't mean.